This is exactly right. If you're a fan of meticulously crafted worlds that reimagine every little detail, then you'll enjoy the podcast Imaginary Worlds. Host Eric Malinsky spent over a decade working in public radio and uses those skills to create a sound-rich podcast that features interviews with Andy Weir, who wrote The Martian, the writers of hit TV shows like Star Trek Strange New Worlds, designers of games like Magic the Gathering, and the puppeteer who designed Miss Piggy. You can find Imaginary Worlds wherever you're listening to this podcast. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of I Saw What You Did. My name is Millie DeCherico. I'm Daniel Henderson. And we're here to talk about movies once again with you today. Um, Danielle, um, what's happening with you? Uh, not much. I have a... a I have a, pr- a proposition for you because I had, you know how like when, you know, you live by yourself and things happen and you're just like, this sentence that I'm about to say makes sense to me because I was in the situation. But then you think like, if I tried to explain this to someone else, none of this would make sense. Yes, all the time. <laughs> so like things just happen where you're like, I'm just going to say the wildest thing and yeah. no one's going to understand how this, I mean, it's going to be like a tale to get to how it happened. So I thought like, because I knew you would understand, I thought I would give you a little guessing game. <laughs> I, I love it. I love it. So, I'm, I love, I love, you know, I don't like all games. Um, oh, I know. I, but I like guessing games from you. Let's just say that. Well, then you are going to be in for a doozy. So what I'm yeah. going to do is I'm going to say a sentence about something that happened to me this week. Okay. And I want you to try to guess how it happened. How it happened. Okay, okay. Like, how did I get myself in this situation? Oh my God, I love this already. Go ahead. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> okay, so the sentence is, and this truly happened, I dropped my diva cup in potting soil. <laughs> how did that happen? Okay. <laughs> Let me clear the mind. <laughs> I've got, I've got my prayer hands to my to my third eye. Okay. And for those of you who don't know, a diva cup is 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 a is a menstrual product for people who 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 have periods. So go. How did I Correct. drop it in potting soil? Something that's supposed to be in my body. Okay. How did that happen? So, here right off the rip, here's what I I think might have happened. Okay? I feel like it started with a faulty bathroom situation in your home. Maybe it's the orgy bathroom. Maybe something happened where you were forced to use the bathroom outside in some way. <laughs> and then and then maybe it, that required you to divest. I don't even know what the word is. <laughs> Divest. That doesn't make any sense. It, part yes, of like, was, what do you I mean? I was definitely like in the process of investing <laughs> funds while it happened. <laughs> part, so of the, divest. part of the uh, bullet points for this uh, situation was that you needed to um, remove the diva cup. And maybe you were in your garden and maybe you were doing, you know, planting some marigolds or something like that. And that's how that happened. Am I off the mark completely? I don't know. I'm, I'm totally. 
Totally off the mark so far. <laughs> but I love this as a basis for a short story. <laughs> like you're just planting marigolds and your diva cup pops out. <laughs> because your orgy bathroom was not working properly. So it forced you to have to empty your diva cup outside and onto some marigolds that you just planted. And that's how that happened. <laughs> it's it's called instant compost. <laughs> just, just throw some of your own blood all over the plants. <laughs> just sprinkle it around. <laughs> oh shit! And then next year you're gonna have like seven foot sunflowers popping up. <laughs> well, now, <laughs> now I am dying to know. Well, I, I I still want you to guess. I will say oh, it oh. happened inside. It happened inside oh, 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 my house. It continues. Oh my god, I love this even more. Okay, <laughs> so that's. Do I get like three strikes or like yeah, how? Let, how does this work? Let's okay. go with the three strikes. So that was your first guess. I was outside planting. Okay, outside planting. Okay, so um, so that did not happen. So strike one has already been declared. Okay, <laughs> do you have a cup in the potting? So um. You were repotting a monstera plant in your bathroom because it was the easiest place to uh, get messy. And then you were trying to lift the <laughs> pot, maybe. But then you had you would have had your pants off. How? Okay, let me walk this back a little bit. Let me walk this back. You would have had to have your pants off for it to just fall out. So it right. couldn't have just fallen out. Nope. Did not just okay. fall out. Okay. It didn't just fall out. So that's, I guess, strike two. I, un- <laughs> unknowingly, I fucked up. So strike, that's two. strike two. However, I will say what you got correct is I was in my bathroom at the time. Oh, okay. So, okay. Here we go. <laughs> Last guess. So, f- so far, the hints are it was inside. I was in my bathroom at the time. And just to repeat, the sentence is, I dropped my diva cup in some potting soil. Okay. Did, okay, were you in the bathtub and the, and, and the sewer got backed up and it, it caused like a potting soil flood, like, a, like in The Shining or something? Could that have been possible? The faucets just start running soil. <laughs> Because my house is absolutely haunted. So it's not off completely off the mark that that could okay. have happened. Okay. Yeah. I mean, you know, I was trying to to, to base all of this in, in some kind of reality. So yeah, I'm assuming it's not that, though. It wasn't no. you weren't in the tub. Okay. Nope. Okay. And I'll, I'll give you another guess if you got more. I mean, I could do infinite guesses. You don't even know. <laughs> Let's go one more guess. Okay. It was not guess. in the tub. I was in my bathroom. Okay. I dropped my diva cup in some potting soil. How did it happen? It was not in the tub. It was in the bathroom. Um, was Did you make some kind of, I don't know, some kind of art out of a toilet? Like, did you plant a, plant a cactus in a toilet or something? Because it was unusable and then you forgot or something and you ran to the bathroom. You're like, I just have to change my diva cup. And then you're like, oh, wait a minute. I made a planter out of this toilet that I don't use. <laughs> And now there's a diva cup sitting on the soil of this planter that I made. Is that going to be it? <laughs> oh, yeah. 
Um, no, but God, I wish that was the answer. <laughs> a planter toilet that I forgot. I mean, I was thinking, you know, that black toilet that you, the, the small black toilet in that orgy bathroom, which is unusable. It's an unusable yeah. bathroom, as you mentioned. Absolutely um, haunted, closed off right now. Right. And so I was thinking, well, maybe she turned it into like some kind of, I don't know, art piece or something. And, <laughs> you know, there's like plants growing out of the, the sink and the tiny tub and the toilet. There could be. I haven't been in that room in a year, so there could be something growing in there. Oh, shit. <laughs> but that is not what happened. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> um, my mind is racing with what this could be. Well, I'm, I'm going to give you some relief. I'm going to tell you what happened. Oh, my God. I'm dying to know. So, diva cups have to be cleaned. Right? Yes. So, you take yes. them out. You clean them. And for some people, it's a whole process. I will say that I was in my bathroom, which is still haunted, but I have to use it. Yeah. Um, there is in my bathroom a tub that genuinely, it's not a jacuzzi tub, but it is like a William Taft sized tub, <laughs> which is furthering the line of this house was used for orgies because it's just like a tub that can fit eight people. Right. That has no jets, nothing. It's just a big old tub. Sure. And sure. It has like, it takes up half the bathroom, more than half the bathroom. And it has like a casing around it, like a wooden wainscoting casing around it. Beautiful, beautiful. <laughs> you can only imagine. Gorgeous 80s terracotta tile. Mm. Um, so because this thing is so massive and horrible and unusable, truly unusable. <laughs> like I'm six feet tall. I cannot get in this tub comfortably. So I don't use it. So I put right. a sheet over it. So that carrot wouldn't start breakdancing in it. Oh, I was going to say you just were like dead bodied it. You were just like, yeah, yes. hundred percent. I closed its eyelids and put a sheet over it. <laughs> and then I lined the rim of it with plants so that carrot couldn't get up there and walk around and jump in and out of it because he was constantly yeah. like playing with the sheet. And I'm like, we can't, this is not, a, this is not a fixture that either one of us needs to be interacting with. Sure, sure, so sure. So I dead bodied it, closed its eyelids lined it with plants and it's also one of the rooms that gets like a lot of great sun and like humidity and everything so my plants are thriving thriving in there right so i decided to repot some of the plants in there like it sure. was time and i had to do some some potting so i took some of the plants out of the bathroom like three three pots i took out brought them brought them downstairs um and did some repotting on the kitchen kitchen counter as i was in the bathroom though before i brought them downstairs i was deadheading and like cleaning some of the leaves you know kind of getting it ready because i thought like i'll do that up here rather than yeah. downstairs right you know took out some of the old dead you know deadly or you know dead dead things or whatever yeah, um, yeah which caused some of the soil to then spill over onto the tub casing like the wooden okay. The wooden, the wooden coffin for this incredible tub. Yes, sure. Um, so there was just loose soil on the edge. Okay. Repot it, left the plants downstairs in the kitchen window to kind of get recalibrated. You know, did my repot of them. Yeah. Watered them, cleaned them up, left them to get some sunshine downstairs. So the sure. next day, I'm upstairs cleaning out my diva cup. 
and I dropped it in the soil around the edge of the tub that was resting there. <sighs> okay, so I need, okay, I might need you to back up. <laughs> I need you to probably back up a, a slight scotch. And because I will actually listen, I'm going to ask you this question because and I don't want you to think I'm some like weird Catholic girl that doesn't <laughs> too late, like too, too. OK, too late. <laughs> fair, fair enough. Um, I I have never used a diva cup. Right. Because I want people have I, it. Most people have it. I want to present stakes. Do you yes. know what I'm saying? Like, yes. So explain, if you will how this diva cup works because it's actually like not it's like inside of your body yeah i correct about that it is okay. it is a silicone cup that you have to fold like origami throw it up in you yes then it works with suction <laughs> so you have to like twist it to get a seal it doesn't hurt at all it's actually very comfortable and i wish i'd had this when i was younger okay it is extremely comfortable sure but, you know, you just twist it a little bit and it just kind of like, you know, latches on in. So there's a seal, nothing leaks. It's like ready to just collect all your fluids. <laughs> yeah, it's, like a, it's like a little bowl. Yeah. That's it's collecting like a, things. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. And that's why it needs to be removed. Yes. And to, cleaned. And clean. Okay. Is this often... Like oh, yeah. It yeah, okay. like every time you take it out. Well, I will say this. Every time you take it out, you should be washing it before you put it back in. Okay. And then at the end of your cycle, you should be boiling it. I use also hydrogen. I let it sit in hydrogen peroxide for a couple of days, take off stains and stuff. Like sure. you should be doing a full cleaning extravaganza when right. your period's done. Right, right, right. Okay, good, good, good information. And this is because, and a diva cup is like, you know, it's good for the environment because you're not using, you know, any kind of like waste products and stuff. And so, yeah, exactly. I mean, exactly. And if you keep it clean, it lasts for years. If you yeah, keep yeah, it clean, yeah. it lasts forever. Right. So, so what I'm asking now is that like you were in the process of cleaning it when yes. this. Okay. Okay. I got was cleaning it. it in between insertion removal. <laughs> In the sink. Sure. Squeezed a little too hard. And it popped out of my hand and onto the tub. <laughs> and right into like a pile of fucking potting soil. And I was like, this is a sentence that makes no sense outside of the boundaries of this room. But when you live alone and shit happens like that, you can't just not like I can't just leave that hanging there. That's a great sentence i dropped my diva cup in some potting soil so you're telling me it was kind of like a screwball comedy moment where you it shot across the room and it just landed in soil basically 100 percent, like slipped it. right out of my hand soapy too soapy slipped out of my hand landed in potting soil and then i'm faced with do i do the full end of cycle cleaning where i would boil it and put the peroxide like i can't just wipe it off and put it back in after it's been in actual dirt. <laughs> like, I'm gross, but I'm not that gross. <laughs> so that's what I had to do. I had to do the full cycle cleaning before I could use it again. Wow. But then I'm looking around my 
my room at my my bathroom at my life and i'm like this is my life now where this is a possibility <laughs> this sentence is a possibility because yeah. I, i'm basically camping in my own house for the past year including the dirt including the dirt exists outside <laughs> dirt from me repotting a fucking plant a snake plant just I, hanging I mean, out on the edge of this tub i didn't i didn't hadn't, hadn't had time to clean it up yet listen i mean I, my immediate thought was like thank god it wasn't like toxic waste or something <laughs> like, it <didn't, laughs> like it didn't fly onto the toxic avengers house or something it was it was dirt which is not great but it did require you to do the the hardcore cleaning the, the spring cleaning steps. the spring yeah, yeah, cleaning yeah. the extra steps and trust me i have in the past dropped a diva cup in a public toilet and you just gotta let that shit go okay that's just sign of the cross goodbye like i will possibly fish it out enough to throw it away so i don't ruin the plumbing of this building but you cannot i cannot use that again there's no amount of boiling that makes me put that back in my body see okay i listen i I, i'm theoretically completely on board with a diva cup like i'm very much like i want to save the planet i i believe in reduce reuse recycle and this kind of (laughs) stuff like i'm not even grossed out by the idea that people have to um to rinse it in a public space right Right. that's it i've never seen it personally but i'm not if i did i wouldn't care i'd be like of course like this is this is what it this is what it means um (laughs) but for me i think that is truly a fear yeah is that well there's two fears really one is that it's just gonna it's not gonna be enough if you know what i mean it's just not gonna (laughs) be enough and then it's like a pot over boiling, right? You're just in that mode, right? But then the second one is that it <laughs> drops in a public restroom. Yeah. In a nasty truck stop toilet. And you just yeah. got to take the L. You got to yeah. fucking take the L, right? You have to. You have to sign of the cross. Goodbye. Nice knowing <laughs> you. Thanks for <laughs> the help all these months, years, whatever. And goodbye. I couldn't do it. I could not figure out a way that I would ever make that thing clean enough to ever reuse. And when you use a diva cup and you have to take it, you know, take care of it in a public place, you turn into MacGyver. Like I have come up with some like, you know, you go in before you even get into the stall, you're taking paper towels, you're yeah. getting some wet paper towels. It's just a real dump and go scenario. Oh, sure, sure, sure. And then, you know, if it listen, I'm I'm an I'm an, I'm an entrepreneur by heart um if if there's ever a need for a little diva cup washing curtain device Uh where if you come out of the bathroom it could be like something that clamps to your wrist (laughs) or something and it just is a privacy curtain (laughs) like it's a privacy curtain for you needing to do it in public but you're not wanting to subject people to the actual like physical washing of it so it's just be like a little a little curtain that goes over your hands. Surgical. Yeah. You wouldn't even necessarily think it was a diva cup rinse. Like you'd be like, Oh, I don't know. Maybe she's like trying to get her wedding ring off and it's not happening or something. You know, she's washing up for surgery in here for some reason. We don't know. She's about to excise her own mole. We don't know what's going on behind that curtain. Yeah. Maybe she's got some talon 
situation with her fingernails and she doesn't want to show her fingernails right now. I don't know. Something like that. Like, it could just be like a privacy curtain. I'll, I'll get to work on that immediately because that, <laughs> that feels you- right. You will make a million dollars. Here's you will make a million dollars if you do the privacy a diva cup privacy curtain or <laughs> diva cup netting or webbing to catch the cup from falling as you're trying to <laughs> fucking genius, dude. There's okay. Maybe right? this is a two pack. Maybe it's the privacy curtain <laughs> with the I, I don't know, like a it's kind of like when you are doing a trapeze thing and there's that yes. like net or whatever that's bouncy. Maybe we have that as an, as an add on to the thing where you just are like, well, if I have to remove it, I don't want it to drop on the, absolutely in the, in the shitty toilet or on the floor. Right. Absolutely. Because let me ask you this. They're not cheap. Am I right? They're like 40 bucks. Okay. See. Mm, mm. And 40 bucks mm. over time is nothing. That's pennies on the dollar. 40 bucks, you just buy one and you drop it in a public toilet. You're literally flushing away 40 bucks. That's what I'm saying, dude. I'm like kind of going, I don't know, man. I'm thinking about the, I'm thinking about the cost. And I'm like, there's no reason why we shouldn't have a net, a safety net in case this thing jumps out from you and like lands in some potting soil, lands, you know, in the hot dog corral in the gas station you're in or whatever like because these things will bounce they will go yeah because it's it's um it's It's silicon silicon yeah so it's slippery okay they will they will fly like a baseball if you let them and so i think a five dollar netting situation would be an, an incredible addition to this product and i think we should take it to shark tank and see how it rolls all right i'm gonna prototype this shit Okay. The minute we stop this episode, I'm going to come up with some drawings. Excellent. Maybe I need we schematics. can find, <laughs> We need to go find like some 3D printer to like really like do a, te- a test model. We can do this. Dude. Should we call an architect? <laughs> do we need blueprints? <laughs> because you wouldn't even be here right now telling me this story, making me play this guessing game <laughs> if we had created the product that you needed. Thank you. So. Thank you. Just just give me a netting. Just give just give us something to prevent the catastrophe that is always awaiting when you try to do this in a public place or in your own bathroom when there's too much. I don't know. People have kids with food all over the place. Like things just pop up in your own fucking house. Your kid comes into your fucking bathroom with a go-gurt, <laughs> leaves it on the, the countertop of <laughs> the sink. And then you drop your diva cup in it. Like there are many scenarios where I think a curtain or a netting could be beneficial. And look, not for nothing. Another thing that I'm going to need a mock-up of is this damn house of yours. I need, <laughs> I need you to send me, I want it to look like the board, the board from Clue where it's just like laid out. Like, what is this section of the house? Oh, this is the haunted bathroom with the diva cup in in the sheet, um, the sheet tub. This is my, you know, I want to know like where Chauncey and his family used to live. Like, I want to know about the bats. I want to know about the, I mean, just lay it oh, out for yeah. me. And it'd be like a board, like a clue board where I'm like, I'm in the orgy bathroom with the revolver. That's, you know, like, and that's what I'm doing this weekend. While you're doing doing the netting and curtain schematics, I'm going to be doing a full layout of the house. 
and I will I will take video and and text it to you. But you really should come see it. I had a friend come visit last week, and she she was like, you know, when you talk about your house, it doesn't really hit home how big this place is and how wild this place is. Yeah, and I'm like yeah, because it cannot be contained in a simple paragraph how insane my house is. Listen, we've talked about this. We love drawings, you know? Yes. We've had a couple of our listeners send us drawings. Like, somebody sent us a drawing of Carrot once, and it was like a little comic where yeah. Carrot was in an adventure. I fucking loved that thing. And I'm like, listen, you know, we love art. And if you are making art, and send it to us. We'll look at it. It would be so fun. But I feel like at this point, you and I need to be drawing out these things. Like you got to get in on the action. We got, like, even in, like, therapy, like, even if it's just therapy, to draw a picture of this diva cup flying across a bathroom into some fucking dirt. <laughs> like, it could be useful. And it, and I definitely want, I want a layout of the house. Like, oh, completely. immediately. Immediately. Oh, it's it's coming. It's, it's happening. And we will be on Shark Tank within the year. <laughs> We're getting everyone involved in this. It is going to be incredible. And my house will ter- continue to terrify and amaze. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I hope I just get some, I guess, I hope I get to find a decent contractor soon who can help me renovate this space so I can stop saying sentences like, I dropped my diva cup in some potting soil. <laughs> that would ultimately be the goal for me is that I no longer have to live like I'm in the haunted mansion. Absolutely. <laughs> but if that's not going to happen, then we can at least make money off of it. I mean, which one of the sharks do you think would, would invest? I mean, I kind of think it would be Lori, just because she's so, like, QVC. You know, yeah. she's she's always, like, anytime there's, like, some some product, she's all in. But I kind of wish it was Mark Cuban. If Mark Cuban funded a Diva Cup privacy washing curtain, I would be fucking thrilled. It would rock my world. I think, I personally think he would walk off the stage and run screaming <laughs> from this idea. I want to think he's cooler than that. But I've seen that man turn down like baby products because he's like, I'll get it. Ain't part of my world, yo. I can't be your fucking shark. I think he would be out instantly and would absolutely convey that by leaving the state in the middle of filming. He would just get in his jet and fly the fuck away. But if it were Mark, <laughs> Mark Cuban, I think we could, we could go places with it. He likes to diversify. You never know. I mean, there's a part of me that thinks he would go running because he's like, well, I can't make this apply to my basketball team. So I Absolutely. guess it's a, it's a no from me. Well, like my food storage fucking company. I mean, it's a, to me, it's a natural progression from basketball to food storage to Diva Cup netting. But yes. I don't think he'd be somehow he'd be on board. I think Lori would jump at the chance. Lori would jump in a chance, and I would also hope that Damon would th- uh, throw, go at least, like, halvesies or something. Make it fashionable. Yes, exactly. But you know what? I, I think we're on the way to creating a very, very useful product, not just for you, but for everybody. Um, and we're going to be millionaires so fast. Once th- Once we can figure this out, we will take it to the market, and the market will sing. I'm excited. I got weekend plans now. I'm psyched. <laughs> In the meantime, watch that Diva Cup. <laughs> you do the full spring clean, the end of the cycle spring clean. You know, you get two hands on that bad boy, you know? 
Wear gloves. Was, yeah, gardening gr- gloves. Get some grippies, some grippy mm-hmm. gloves, maybe. Remember those gloves you gave me when you when you dropped off your your cacti <laughs> when you were moving to Florida? And you had me house sit your plants, and you, Millie dropped off her plants, and she's like, "All right, these are these are stingers, like they'll get you." So she dropped off these dope ass gloves and a pair of tongs, and was like, "Here's how you gotta move these fucking things." And that's what we we need equipment for the Diva Cup. I'm just saying, and Millie, well, you are already. The person who is thinking in that way of protection and safety. So I know, I know you're, I know you're the girl. You're the new shark. You're the shark for me. Thank you. I and thank you for saying that. I'm, I'm pleased <laughs> as punch to be your girl. But I'm also writing a short story about this immediately. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck, dude. Oh, thank God. you for playing my guessing game. Uh, duh. I love it. <laughs> And listen, if this becomes a regular seg, I'm on, I'm on board. I'm on board anytime. Oh, I got a notebook full of this shit. Oh my god, let's do it! Holy shit! I have no idea how to segue. Oh, there isn't one. If we if we have anyone still listening, we're gonna talk about movies now. And if you are a skipper and you skip that whole first part, now come back. We're talking about the movies. Now. We're talking themes. Listen, in the drinking game of this show, you you saying if if anyone's still listening is definitely an entry point. Oh yeah, chug, chug a pint. <laughs> <laughs> chug um, a pint. So this theme this week, okay. Uh, This is something that this is your passion project and I am dying to know like how you came about it and like what it is. So (laughs) let's talk about it. What is the theme for this week? Our theme this week is bare minimum romance. Absolutely correct. And let's talk about it. Tell, Tell me what inspired this. So I think it just came from a place where Having watched a ton of rom-coms in my life, having watched, you know, just kind of watching films and looking at how relationships develop on films and if they're realistic or not, or if they're funny or heartfelt, and then just kind of eventually getting to a point a few months ago where I was watching a couple of things and, you know, back to back, and I was like, there's a lot of the bare fucking minimum happening here that people are blowing up to be the most romantic shit on the planet. And I think it has fucked us for generations. (laughs) I think the movie I'm going to talk about definitely fucked people for generations. Oh, of course. And it really pisses me off that, like, the way that we talk about romance in film in a broad way is often done with the bare fucking minimum of effort. So, like, if a dude has been a horrible beast throughout the whole film. And then at the end, he comes back and he's like, bought you a fucking daffodil. And then people are like, let's get married. Let's melt. Oh my God, this is the best fucking relationship of all time. And I'm like, really? (laughs) We're falling for this shit just because he decided to not be a fucking monster for one day? Yes. Dude, I was like in my head about this theme for weeks because I was like, this totally makes sense. And I'm looking to find 
the origin of this, right? Because I'm like, yeah, is it like a generational thing? Because I talk about that a little bit in my movie where I'm just like, is it because we came from this generation where we had no expectations for fucking anybody? Mm-hmm. And so basically they were like, eh, like, I guess this is romance. I don't know. And everyone's just like, great, it is. Like, we accepted so little because we weren't expecting anything. Like, there's no, like, yes. you know, we're just extremely realistic and I guess maybe negative <laughs> at a certain, at a certain yes. point. Like, well, these, these people are pieces of shit <laughs> and we can't do anything about it. So I guess we'll just find, we'll find something to grab onto. <sighs> Right, and that that is what also made me think of it is I'm watching things like Love is Blind or like these weird reality shows. I've never watched A Bachelor or Bachelorette, but like Mm. the bare fucking minimum is happening on these shows all the time. Yeah. And people are like entranced. And I think part of it is like, is it that the question that I have, I should say, is that it makes me wonder, is it how we were raised to have no expectations? Is it something that develops over time? Is it jadedness? Is it realistic? Yeah. Is romance kind of no longer the the kind of, you know, the sweeping orchestral fucking thing it used to be? Because I think bare minimum romance also happens in a lot of older films where it's like, here's this dude, he's been treating you like shit and living out in the wilderness and like fucking ran over your dog and fucking yeah. buried your mom alive, but he also built you this house. And you're like, what the fuck, dude? Like, in the 40s and 50s, this shit was happening all the time where at the end of the movie, the every single person could have said, well, I guess you're fine. And that was the end of it. Yeah, I mean, listen, this is like, this spills onto the classic movie fuckboy concept because it's like, yes. fuck, we would watch the, a movie like The Heiress, which was a 40s movie, and it's like, oh, here's this woman who's totally in love with this guy and he has done nothing, nothing. for her. <laughs> like, he's not, nothing. he just was hot and showed and went, up and, and showed up and maybe has a little bit of panache because he went to europe or some shit yeah. like what is that you what know is that so this bare minimum romance has been happening for a long ass time we've yeah. built an entire subgenre on it in film and it just made me think like what are some good examples of that yeah and i gotta be honest with you your movie mm. Ooh, this is a this is gonna be real interesting because everybody loves your movie but it hits different it hits different as you get older doesn't it Uh because i'm discovering because i've seen this my film a lot yeah and it hits different and your film i have so much to say about your film dude i i i knew you would i was telling you before (laughs) i I, listen i was telling you before we press record like in this weird way i feel like like we're doing like i don't know we kind of have swapped films in a weird way like i expected you to pick a movie like this just because i know that you know um this movie was both was of our generations but also like you know a british writer and a british book and so i was thinking oh wow this is like a danielle movie yeah and uh i don't know but i'm glad that we did it this way because then we get to both talk about these films which are like very different absolutely but might cross paths. <laughs> I think th- I think this theme brings them together. And I think the reason I did pick my movie is that my movie has had people in a fucking headlock since it came out. 
Oh, absolutely. And it made me wonder, like, why? Like, go back and look at this movie again and consider what is actually happening here. Yeah. I, I, I have gone through the ringer with your film for sure. I'll, I'll be sure <laughs> to talk about it. Like, I went from, like, Please. thinking it was lame to really liking it, like, surrendering to the vibe and really liking it, and then going, okay, now that I'm in my mid-40s, what, the, mm-hmm. what is this movie to me? So I, I cannot wait for this week. Let's let's get well, into you're, it. You're, you're going first, so let's jump the fuck in. I've got like seven hours worth of shit to say about your movie. First and foremost being, before you even introduce and get into it, your movie stars a person who might be the spokesperson for Bare Minimum Romance. Oh my God. A hundred fucking percent. <laughs> let's do it (laughs) we are gonna get so much hate mail this episode i cannot wait look i clearly have nothing else to do i'm coming up with diva cup netting in my free time all these uh what are they called sacred cows is that what they're called oh yeah we're killing them all we're slicing their throats we're Um, entering our third year of this podcast (laughs) with no take no prisoners attitude take no fucking prisoners (laughs) Okay, so my film for the theme of bare minimum romance was a movie from the year 2000. It was written by D.V. DeVicentis, Steve Pink, John Cusack, and Scott Rosenberg, based on a book by Nick Hornby, directed by Stephen Frears. It's called High Fidelity. What came first, the music or the misery? And they do not play the Elvis Costello song at all. Yes, they do not, which, a big miss, if I'm <laughs> honest. A big miss. I mean, we, we've already just said it. I mean, this is going to be such a whale of a movie to talk about. To just put this in perspective, okay? So, in the year 2000, I was in my early 20s. I was the music director at my college radio station, Okay, and I was working in a famous record store in Atlanta called Criminal Records. Okay, so imagine me in this point of my life, 21, 22, seeing this film. Okay, and I'll just say it right now. I mean, this I'm a little ashamed to say it almost, but maybe not. I I was extremely into music in this point of my life. I mean, maybe even more than movies, at this that point. Yeah. And so, of course, like when this movie came out, I saw the trailer and I was very intrigued by a movie that was about a record store and it starred the Gen X hero and crush John Cusack. Oh, if you right? did not have a crush on John Cusack in the 80s and 90s, I did not want to talk to you. And I probably still don't. I will say before, before we destroy this sacred cow of a film, I will say <laughs> two things as I was watching it. Cause I was going to ask, I'm like, Hmm, I wonder what Millie's experience is of record store guys. And then within five seconds, I was like, wait, she was a record store guy. Yes. Oh and my then God. Also, <laughs> like, so I want to hear about that. But then mm-hmm. also it's entirely possible that John Cusack is the modern day Gregory Peck in terms of dicks I would destroy <laughs> in ways that don't make sense. Because he has grown into a cantankerous baseball watching old fuck of a dude. 
And I absolutely love I love the way he has shifted from like child actor, teen heartthrob, interesting adult, cantankerous old fuck could still get it just throwing it out there, even though we are going to destroy this film and this character irritates the fuck. It gets right under my skin. Yeah. But John Cusack, I still got it for you. Sorry. Listen, he he flew too close to the sun with his role. Let me just say that. <laughs> like, and 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 it's it's the kind of thing, like, yes, I he was the thinking woman's heartthrob in mm-hmm. the 80s. Let's get serious. I mean, all these movies that he was in. So now in this role, you know, he's a grown-up. I mean, it started at basically like he was in Gross Point Blank. Mm-hmm. Um, and then and then immediately made this movie pretty much after, but was also Gross Point Blank was also sort of like one of these like big soundtrack films. It was like John Cusack was grown up and he was cool and he mm-hmm. was an adult and it was sort of like less um, teen angst and more kind of like suit guy and you know. And so I was already I was already intrigued by this concept that John Cusack was getting older, right? And it was maybe like you know become you know becoming a different type of dude in this like cultural consciousness so i think it really got cemented in this movie where i was like oh yeah like what is what is this role and why is it wrecking my life like this guy and this (laughs) listen i uh, so there was so he was a huge part of why i watched it obviously but then also jack black is in this film Yes. All right. And at the time, I was super into Mr. Show. I was super into Tenacious D. And I pretty much thought he was like the funniest guy ever yeah. based on those two things. And so I was like, I'm in. I mean, how many times could I be in for this film? Oh, and this was a breakout role for him. Like, this is a role that really introduced him to the film watching community to like, it, it broke him out of like the smaller la comedy world that he was in yes um, and I, I actually watched an interview with with john cusack who said that he like part of the reason he he put him in this film is that jack black was part of this actors group that tim robbins put together called the mm-hmm. actors gang and he you know did shows and like you know tenacious d was formed there and like so he saw him there and was like oh this could be the perfect role for that guy and he could not have been more right like jack black rocked the rocked worlds with this fucking role. Uh, absolutely. And this is like, I mean, if you know Jack Black now, who's in like, you know, I don't know, wasn't he in Jumanji? I can't remember. He's yeah. done like a lot of like broad comedy, family comedy stuff now. But at the time, he was like a freak, man. Like he was absolutely. like totally crazy. Like, and I, um, I'll get into this later, but you're going to laugh when I say this because I swear to God, I, I feel like I say this every episode, but I read an oral history of high fidelity. <laughs> I did. It's out there on the internet. Go look for it. I would be shocked if you didn't. I would be shocked <laughs> if you didn't. <laughs> but then it made me think, God damn, do they do oral histories of every movie now? They sure it's as just... fuck do. And that's why I don't read a lot of websites anymore. Because every time I pop on one, they're like, here's an oral history of the fucking railroad gang. And you're like, what? <laughs> like, why am I reading an oral history of our gang? But it is kind of this, in this weird way, it is kind of like the best record of the production of a movie, really, yeah. is that sort of like, you get all the old 
people back together and to get them to like talk about what the fuck they were doing and what the fuck they were thinking and it's kind of invaluable information in a weird invaluable way invaluable information and also sounds like my worst nightmare imagine somebody <laughs> coming to you right now and being like you worked at dunkin donuts in 1994 <laughs> let's sit and talk about that for three hours with everyone else that worked there nightmare fuel <laughs> the oral history of the dunkin donuts on canton road Circa 1994 to 1997. Actually, that's that's the only oral history I would read, to be honest. <laughs> well, okay, so so just know that I've read an oral history and there and there, but go find it. It's interesting. They talk to all the writers. There's a lot of stuff in there that I didn't know. But um, here's the thing. So, like, okay, for me, like, as a record dude. Right. You would get you would see these types of kind of like studio commercial studio movies once in a while about a scene, you know, and they have great soundtracks and shit. And they're just always so corny and they just miss the mark. Right. And as like a cool person, you're like, I fucking hate these movies. Right. Mm -hmm. Like to this day, we've been on record for this. I cannot watch Empire Records. I just can't. It's so painfully bad to me. Right. But to my surprise, I actually thought High Fidelity was pretty good when it came yeah. to like all of this cultural stuff, right? I mean, absolutely. Yes, it was a movie about a guy and his girlfriend breaking up, right? Which we'll talk about in a second, obviously. But what I really loved about it at the time was that it was about music snobs and record store culture and mm-hmm. making mixtapes. And it was filled with these like archetypes of people that i knew in my life right yes and i read i actually went and read the the roger ebert review of this because i was interested to figure out like you know he's a chicago guy i kind of wanted to hear his thoughts on it and he said something and i'll quote him here that really hit me because i think it's the exact reason why i have watched this movie so much why i have loved this movie and he said that he recognized everyone in it. And and the quote is that they're more casual about romance than most movie characters, maybe because most movies are simple-minded and pretend it's earth-shakingly important whether this boy and girl meet forever, when a lot of young romance is just window shopping and role-playing and everyone knows it. You break up, you sigh, you move on. And he talks, and that's end of the quote, but then he talks in this review about how this is a movie for people who know a lot about minutiae, like people who know a lot about things, whether you, so if, if you work in a kitchen, if you work in a bookstore, if you work like in any niche kind of like employment, you recognize these people. And that has always hit hard to me that I thought they did that so well in this movie. Yes. A hundred percent. And listen, at this time, I mean, listen, I was working in college radio and I worked at a record store. Pretty much everyone I knew was someone that basically loved records more than people. Mm-hmm. Right. And then they had all these kind of weird rules for their lives that was kind of based on that. Yeah. Right. And listen, when it comes down to it, I knew like five dudes who were just like Dick. Like, I'm <laughs> telling you, like, right down to the record bag across the body, the fucking Bell and Sebastian tapes. And they were all, I swear to God, I knew like at least four or five of them. They were all shaved head, 
fucking Ian Mackay looking dudes. Yes. Soft, soft spoken, diminutive, like indie pop guys. I just knew so many guys like him. Todd Luizzo as Dick is fucking inspired. Oh my like, God. Like they picked that guy off the street and put him in this movie. Like to this day, I'm like, I don't know if any movie has nailed an archetype as well. I mean, I'm just trying to think of like a a pure character. I'm like, they fucking created this (laughs) character and he's the most real motherfucker I think I've ever met in my life. Like, I've just not known a a movie to have done that as well. Oh, completely. And And this is and the book, like the Nick Hornby book, even though it's set in the UK and they kind of have a different type of music that they're obsessed with. Like in the book, I think they're really obsessed with like the blues and Wilson Pickett and like, you know, kind of, but then it translates so well to Chicago because of that archetype and because of that dude and those dudes, it just translates so well. I could not agree with you more. Yes. And like that was to the credit of basically John Cusack and his friends who were the writers of the film. They were from Chicago and they were, when I was reading this oral history, they were extremely passionate about getting it right. I mean, Mm -hmm. listen, if you're going to do a movie about music snobs, you got to nail it. You can't fucking be half-assed about it, right? No. Because you're going to get raked over the coals. And, you know, and to me, this this movie, it's kind of like Thief when we talked about Michael Mann's Thief. I mean, this movie, Chicago is a huge part of this movie. Mm-hmm. And, like, they filmed it there and they referenced, like, the Biograph Theater and Lounge Acts. And then they also had, like, the participation of, like, Drag City Records and, like, Steve Albini from shellac and big black and so it's kind of like all these chicago people were involved and they filmed it there and then it was just sort of like at this moment in time in the late 90s early 2000s where like indie rock was like a huge thing and it was the music industry was more or less still intact napster Mm -hmm. was kind of right around the corner so it was like it was a huge scene and you know, for me, I like being 21 or 22 years old, I mean, I was like, I had very strong opinions about this music. I, I was like in, incredibly judgmental about people who liked bad music. I was like, I'll never like anyone who likes shitty music. <laughs> this movie, though, like we talked about sort of already, I mean, it's kind of just like a Gen X movie through and through yeah. because of that. Because all these characters in this film, I mean... They're smarter than you. They hate posers. I mean, pretty much they believe that selling out and making a lot of money is like a high crime. Yep. And that having a quote unquote like normie life, like being married and like having kids and living in the suburbs was probably like the worst thing you could ever think of. And this is like the fuel of these guys in this Absolutely. film. You know? Absolutely. And there's even, there's a part... And it's it's evident all over the movie because there's a part where you realize like, oh, this record store is struggling and Rob himself is caught in this loop of, I do want to still be able to do this, so I do need customers, but I will not sell to certain types of people. Like he's very particular about (laughs) who even comes into this store and buys shit. And then there's another part of the film where they mention that, um, where Rob says that, you know, he's had this conversation with Barry and, and Dick and they've decided that what you like is more important than what you are like. And I wanted to ask you about that and if you think that's true. If you think the things that you like pop culturally are more important than what you are like as a person. Well, look, I mean, I think <laughs> I think when we talked about St. Elmo's Fire, I went real hard 
on the concept of like this couple breaking up and fucking splitting the records and just being like <laughs> eye rolling, you know, it's been like, really? Like you give a fuck about a Billy Joel record or some shit. Like <laughs> there's a huge part of me that <laughs> has grown out of that completely. Like to the point where I'm just like, who fucking cares? Like at this right. point, I'm like, honestly, I just need you to not be a Nazi. That's all right. I'm asking. <laughs> Like, this is how low the standards are now. <laughs> yes. I'm like, do I give a fuck that you liked Stevie Wonder's I Just Called to Say I Love You? <laughs> By the way, that part of the film, which is like a very, like, you know, it's like a, one of the moments that a lot of people remember. You know, it's basically some square guy going into the record store and buying this record for his daughter. And they're like, fucking rip into him. him yeah because they're like what a corny i can't believe stevie wonder made such a shitty song and i'm like wow the critical opinion of that song i feel like that's changed like in 2022 yep. that song to me is kind of a bop and i don't think of that as being such a crime anymore that stevie wonder made like a pop song or whatever yeah. like that but at the time those people were like no fuck him for making that stupid ass song just you know, imagine a world if you were not alive in the 90s or if you have no experience. Just imagine a world where anyone could shit on Stevie Wonder for any reason. You know, and like, listen, we're going to get into I'll, I'm going to go through the beats of the film a little bit just to kind of orient you if you haven't seen this film, because I do think it's 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 got a lot of different working parts. And, yeah, you know, we're obviously talking about the major one, which is that it's about music snob culture. Right. right. Um, but then there's also this like romance that's tucked into it, which we, we will get into in just a moment. But mm -hmm. listen, if you haven't seen this movie, Cusack plays this character named Rob Gordon. And just as Danielle alluded to, he's this grumpy chain smoking record store owner, you know, probably in his like mid to late thirties. I can't, I don't even know if he ever mentions his age, but no. the movie is from his point of view and he addresses the camera directly. Okay. And Rob says that he's just been dumped by his girlfriend, Laura, who is played by this really great Danish actress. Her name is Eben Yele. Mm -hmm. I looked that up. To I co-sign sure. it. Okay, good, good, good. Because <laughs> I was like, we might need to call your friend and get her to help. Um, but uh, she, so Laura is basically this ex-alternative girl who is now a lawyer for some like corporate firm. And right off the bat, you're like, okay, here we go. Here's this underachieving, broke, non-committal, grouchy man-child and his beautiful, smart, patient lawyer girlfriend. Mm -hmm. Okay. We have seen this so many times before. And, you know, she's broken up with him essentially because he's a man-child and <laughs> she wants more out of life, right? So in his melancholy and his anguish, he decides that he's going to come up with a list of like the top five worst breakups of his life. And the top five thing is like a running thing in the movie. Um, you know, obviously... It, it, it's a part of kind of what record store guys do is come up with top five lists of things. And so mm -hmm. it comes up a lot. And so, and this is just like the movie old boyfriends. Like we discussed uh, like yep. on the very first baby girl, what did you do an episode? <laughs> um, because Rob decides that he's going to go on this quest to like meet up with these women on his list and find out why they dumped him. Okay. 
And in between this, Rob is basically sulking around town, and then he he's managing his two employees of this record store that he owns. There's Dick, played by Todd Louisa, and then Barry, who's played by Jack Black, and they they're my favorite characters in the movie. We just talked about it. Like they're very relatable, very relatable, and they're just complete polar opposites. And so watching them interact is fucking fun as shit, right? Absolutely. My other favorite character is Liz, who is like Robin Laura's friend. She's kind of like a third party observer in this breakup. And she's played by Joan Cusack, who is obviously John Cusack's sister. And it's so cool to see them act together, by yes. the way. And oh, I love I always love it. Yes, yeah, we've talked about her many times in the podcast. She's a hero. She's a hero to us. We got to get I, her on. We got to get Joan, Joan Cusack on this fucking does pod. Does she do podcasts? Oh, my God. We love her. She we love to. her so much. And in this film especially, it's like you either need a friend like Liz or you have to be a friend like Liz. Like those are your aspirational points. Yes. When she's yelling at him for being a dick, it's such a joy. I'm just like, I could listen to her scream at him forever. She's so great. And He's awesome. So, and like through the course of the film, you know, Rob is like meeting up with these old girlfriends and there are people like Catherine Zeta-Jones and Lily Taylor and Joelle Carter, who, by the way, Eva Crowder for Justified mm-hmm. fans, right? So, And yep. there's like a ton of great cameos in the film. As you mentioned before, Tim Robbins is in this movie and he plays the dreaded Ian who is this like weird new age guy that Laura starts to date after they break up. And he's such a stupid idiot. I fucking <laughs> love him. He's such a fucking prick. I mean, just like the ponytail and the rings and everything. And he's just like, he's into conflict resolution. He's just so oh, dumb God. and awesome and funny. And also we got to talk about this because I need to know your opinion on this character. But Lisa Bonet makes a cameo in this film. Okay. Okay. And she's playing this like singer-songwriter named Marie LaSalle. And Rob ends up having this like one night stand with her. Okay. And I have always had thoughts about this character. Mm-hmm. Okay. I think now, in like at this moment in time, I feel like I understand it a little more. But back when I watched this movie, I was like, no fucking way this is happening. I was like on both sides. Like she would not sleep with him and he would not sleep with her. And they address it in the film where he's like, how does a guy like me become like the number one lover man in his postal code? And that this scene now in present day rocks me to my core a little bit because yes. there's a point where they are, they meet at a bar and they've met before like at her show. And that scene is hilarious in its own right because Rob's like, why did you tell her about the record store? And Barry's like, oh, I didn't know it was like a secret. (laughs) 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 But that's like so indicative of who this guy is where it's like he has a record store, he's talking to a musician and he's so afraid of selling out that he does not want anyone to even know that. Um, Yeah. But they have this connective night where they're all at the bar and talking and this is where that whole conversation of what you like is more important than what you are like comes into play. Right before he mentions that they had sex, he says, and you see him talking to her, and he says, I invented a sketch of a decent, sensitive guy because I was in the position to do so, and it rocks me to my fucking core. Oh, yeah. That is dark as fuck. Like, when I watched it again, I was like, 
wow, dude, like what a psycho. Yeah. And that's (laughs) how this fucking happens. Because of course everyone's throwing boners over Marie DeSalle. She's Lisa Bonet. Like that makes total sense. And that whole like, you know, that, that kind of hippie rock, like Peter Frampton cover was such a 90s thing. Yes. So it makes total sense that like she would be rocking their world. But I, in this scene now, I see it more as it makes sense to me that like these are just two broken hearted people who are yeah. looking to connect. Right. Yeah. And and at the time, I remember thinking the music snob activated in me. Where I right. thought, first of all, she is too beautiful to sleep with this schlub. I truly thought that. I was like, there's no way she's going for this fucking grump. She's like this ethereal beauty. There's no way. But, but he then, was lying about who he was the whole time. Right. But then and he, though. Okay, so here's the thing. This is the benefit of reading on oral history. I'm just saying. So I was reading in the oral history that apparently this role was the hardest to cast right. for the movie because they couldn't find the right person to play it. It took them a long time because the character, I think, was supposed to have been like this jewel type. Like she was like mm-hmm. a singer-songwriter uh, and maybe, you know, she's supposed to be kind of like not a type of a woman that these guys come across often. Or and, even like. Or, or even, even like. like. Right, because she's supposed to have been like a little corny or something. Do you know what I'm saying? Right. Like in that way. And the funny thing is, is that in in the oral history, they mention that at one point they actually almost got Liz Fair to play it. <gasps> which... For me, would have been fucking amazing to see her in this movie just because she's from Chicago and she's so fucking awesome and part of this whole indie rock scene yeah. at this time. But I think that I, from what I read, they were saying that like it w- just would have been off because she's almost like too cool. Because right. th- this character is supposed to be a woman that they don't know very well, but are also enchanted by. And mm-hmm. that he's supposed to just have a fling with someone, right? And I'm thinking if you put Liz Fair in there, she's so cool and so hot that he just like falls in love with her and forgets Laura and the movie's over. Do you know what exactly. I mean? Like, exactly. So- and the only reason it doesn't happen with Lisa Bonet, I think, with this Marie DeSalle character, is that she is too hands-off. She yes. is too much like, nah, this ain't happening. Yes, 100%. I feel like... He's just the type of guy. I mean, look at his past girlfriends, right? You think about the Catherine Zeta-Jones character. Mm-hmm. He's been known to follow the rabbit that's just so different from him and just better than him and more, I don't know. Like, he, he, his whole thing with the Catherine Zeta-Jones character was that she's just, like, this magnanimous, like, you know, social creature and she's, like, so different from him. And that's kind of, like, what I think would happen for him was that if she hadn't said to him, hey, we're just fucking here, no no ties, he yep. would have probably got sprung and then Absolutely. chased her around town, right? Absolutely. And this role was so hard for them to cast because I was too young and also I'm not an actor and nobody knows who I was. <laughs> you would have taken him to your loft and you would have really like put both hands on that high ass and been like, 
They're like, oh, we're having actual sex. Nobody told you? We're going to have actual <laughs> sex in this scene. <laughs> Very unprofessional, but that's what's happening. <laughs> no, in, no intimacy coordinator needed. No. Just leave us alone. An actual lawsuit will be pending after this <laughs> because of what I'm about to do to you. <laughs> well, so anyway, I had very complicated thoughts about the Lisa Bonet character still. But anyway, at the time, it felt I needed an opinion on it. Do you see what yeah. I'm saying? I had to yeah. have an opinion on it. Well, because it comes out of nowhere. And I think that's kind of the feeling they were going for is that like these snobs never expected to be enchanted by a woman who sings Peter Frampton covers. Right. And so that does come out of nowhere in a way that feels right and good and true. But it's also, it was kind of like the first time we'd seen Lisa Bonet in a while. Oh, that that was the huge thing for me, was that I was just like, holy shit, like, she's back. She looks incredible. Why is she with this schlong? <laughs> right. <laughs> like, you need to go to Lenny Kravitz's house. Like, why are you messing around with <laughs> this guy? <laughs> you need to let love rule. Get the fuck out of there. <laughs> oh, my God. Exactly. Well, and like, listen, I mean... Despite despite this film being about like these like little nuances, right? This movie is ultimately about this relationship between Rob and Laura. And like, I'm going to tell you right now, I'm 22 years older watching this film now. I'm actually very depressed by their yeah. relationship. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> like, this is going to be a spoiler. Okay. And, and so if you don't want to know, fast forward a few seconds, but listen, they eventually get back together. And it all just feels very bleak to me. Yeah. Well, this this is where the bare minimum romance comes in for me. And two right. crucial points. One being, Laura's dad dies. And after the funeral, she asks Rob to have sex with her just so she can feel something else. And then she says to him, I'm too tired to not be with you anymore. Yes. That is bleak shit where she's like, I'm just exhausted, emotionally exhausted and wrung out because she's also been moving out of this apartment in like excruciating increments. Yeah. Which keeps her in the story, but also just drives me crazy. Yeah. I mean, and so it's like bare minimum where she's like, I'm literally too tired to fight being with you. And then he later proposes to her in the same vein where he's like, I feel like it's the right thing to do. Um, you know, I don't know. I just feel like I like being with you more than I like being with other people. And obviously being alone is not an option. I'm like, that yeah. is crazy to me too, which is like another thing that darks me out about this movie is that she's just like, man, I'm just really tired. I guess I'm just going to go back to this boyfriend that I fucking don't even like half the time. And he did all this terrible shit to me. Oh my God. That scene w is again, Joan Cusack, the goat. <laughs> that scene where <laughs> Laura's running down like here's all the terrible things Rob did to me and this is coming from his perspective where he finally realizes that he is an asshole right he sleeps with somebody else while she's pregnant which causes her to get an abortion then he borrows 4,000 bucks from her and right. then he tells her he's kind of sort of looking for, like for somebody else because their relationship is stale yes and guess what they don't address any of that shit no. after they get back together. They got real issues and they're just like, I guess we're just bored and tired of uh, trying to not be together. So let's just be together. And it's so depressing. It's and dark. Listen, I mean, it's kind of like what I said in the intro to the theme is that like, it's a very meh kind of thing for them to get back together. And 
I don't know. I don't know if that's because it's realer that way or if it's I mean, because obviously this movie is patently Gen X. And I'm thinking, is this because of the the kind of wants and desires of our generation where we just like we're we're simply too tired to right. not advocate for ourselves or something. I'm like, what the right. fuck are we talking about? <laughs> we're so exhausted by the world. Also, this is a movie that was written by four men. Sure, and I think sure. that they did a good job of like digging into this insecure male archetype. Like they yeah. really did a good job of that across the characters. And I think they did an okay job with the women too. Yeah, Like they didn't feel unreal to me in any way. But I think that resignation is a very male thing where yes. it's like, I guess you'll do. I'm not out here looking for like the love of my life. I'm looking for someone I can tolerate. And right. that is some bleak fucking shit. Right. And listen, I mean, so she effectively, getting back together with him, effectively, she's settling for less than what she wants, which bums me the fuck out. And guess what? In in his momentum for the, you know, the reunion or whatever, like, he doesn't really make any huge changes to who he is. I mean, it is gracious to say that he might have wised up slightly because he didn't cheat on her again with yep. Natasha Gretzen Wagner. I'm like, okay. Yep. Bare minimum shit. That is his growth. And this is on the heels of she continues to drag him through life. She put together this whole show where he yes. gets to be a DJ again because that's when she knew she saw him as the happiest point of his life. So she brings him back to this point where he can do his thing and be happy. And he decides to put out this record with these two criminals, these two skateboard <laughs> criminals, which is the most hilarious part of the fucking movie. The Kinky Wizards, the isn't kinky that what they're called? The Kinky Wizards. I Stole My Mom's Wheelchair is the name of their EP. And he, so she, but she is still dragging him through life. And the concession is, I'm going to drag you through life. You're going to maybe not cheat on me. And that's the growth point that we've reached. I just can't. I mean, it's just like to me, and I, listen, I am trying really hard to like see this scenario in the 2000s way because let's get serious the the early 2000s were dark as fuck for gender (laughs) roles okay like across the board but it's just this idea of like there is no kind of like growth or true growth moment they're just back together because they don't know what else to do Mm -hmm. okay and it's a bare minimum romance i mean they're Essentially, what they're saying is, we're cute, we like records, and hopefully this will be the thing that sustains us until we die. Yep. (laughs) And I'm just like, wow, that is not much. That is not much. (laughs) And and a counterpoint, just because I do like this movie and I do come back to it again and again. Sure. And... I see different things in it as I grow in age, as we have discussed intensely on this show, of course. Yeah. Um, and I think that there there is a moment where Rob is talking about the top five things he misses about Laura. And you get a little peek into his humanity in that moment that like, oh, he does consider her as a person beyond the boundaries of like, we both like records and and dancing and this will be enough to, to sustain us. But he never expresses it to her. 
Well, and he doesn't even simply say, you put up with my shit. Yeah. You know, it's like, oh, you're, you're, you've got grace and you're funny and you rub your feet together in bed. But what about like, and you put up with my shit. Like, you, you know, I know that I'm not like the most polished dude ever. And, you know, I've got like stupid opinions about records. And thank you for like being understanding about that and just being yeah. like, you know, I don't know. Like you try to make me my best and that is wonderful. Like there's just not yes. even that moment where I'm like, yes, you know. But listen, I, we're just dissecting this component of the film. It For me, it doesn't take right. away from my enjoyment of this film. Like, Absolutely. I have seen this movie so many fucking times. And like I said, it, you know, despite this, like, part of the movie about, about the relationship, like, the rest of the movie is so, like, it, it, it made me remember, like, when I watched it again, I was like, nostalgia just flooding uh, back like flooding it made me miss record stores which i feel like that shit's kind of out the window these days and like yeah. it's like this whole other time where you know i you know you could meet people in this like third space like there were people hanging out at record stores you know shooting the shit and having opinions and that was like the core of how i grew up and how i yep. learned about anything basically mm-hmm. is watching other people talk about movies and music in places like record stores and video stores. So I just, it just made me miss that whole era so much. Completely. It was such, such a nostalgia trip for me in a great way. Um, And also, yeah, I just, I really, I appreciate that I grew up in that time where it was culturally expected and okay in these circles for you to be a little more insular, to be a little more introspective and to kind of take the time to develop a personality and develop who you are as a human being outside of, you know, kind of develop who you are as a human being and then go try to find your people instead of what I see now is kind of the other way around, which is like, I will make my personality fit into any and all social situations because, you know, I'd rather do that than spend a minute with myself. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's it's so true. But hey, also, like, it was great to fucking chop it up about the bare minimum romance of these two Gen X folks. If you, wa- if you haven't seen the movie in a long time and you watch it, I would love to hear opinions about it if you want to email us. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I... Uh, this for me was it. Like when you brought up the theme, I was like, yep, this is the Here movie we we're watching. So, Here. and it's such a great conceit too. Like this notion of going, because we've all done it in some way, like yeah. going back over your old relationships to, you know, to kind of see how, you know, kind of to, just to make some connective tissue between like the present mm. and, and the past. And, you yeah. know, kind of, it just, it makes sense. Like I like the conceit of this movie. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's a it's a real motherfuck to watch at all these different decades of my life now. And now that I'm dead inside, <laughs> I'm just being like, like, I don't know if this is good. Like, they're just so resigned to being together. And they, you know, they try, try to bring it back to this place of love and expansion. But I'm not sure if they ever get there. And I don't know if it's because I'm, again, dead inside or because yeah. that's just... The way that this film has has presented itself is bare minimum romance. Yeah. Well, and good to know that there's another person on the destroyed dick list. Like I 
It's a small I'm, list. It's a small list. And it's a, it's a surprising list. list. It's a surprising list. Every <laughs> entry will be stranger than the last. <laughs> no one is out here in 2022 saying anything about destroying John Cusack's dick. I will take that for you. We, we salute you, girl. We salute you. He might be your dream guy. He's truly a cantankerous old fuck who watches baseball and yells at politicians. Like, he might be your dream dude. I mean, I didn't say he wouldn't be. I'm just... I'm, <laughs> I'm, I, I'm, I'm very aware of how enticing <laughs> all of those things are. And I say cantankerous old fuck with the highest estimation. Yes. That is what I aspire to. If I'm not right. yelling at someone outside of my house and waving a cane in 20 years, I've done something wrong. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Well, my movie... Look. I'm rubbing my hands together. I, <laughs> I could go so... I could go another four hours on this movie. I'm going to try to keep it tight and focus on the bare minimum romance of it. Mm -hmm. um, because my film, the screenplay for my film was by Nora Ephron. Mm -hmm. um, it was directed by Rob Reiner. It was released in 1989. My movie is When Harry Met Sally. Men and women can't be friends because no man can be friends with a woman that he finds attractive. He always wants to have sex with her. So you're saying that a man can be friends with a woman he finds unattractive? No, you pretty much want to nail him, too. Now, when I say this movie has had people in a fucking headlock <laughs> for time immemorial, I am not kidding. This is on so many people's top 10 list, top five lists. And I think a lot of that can be attributed to the fact that Nora Ephron is a brilliant writer. Mm -hmm. Like this, this movie, no matter how many times I see it or how I feel about it, ultimately, it is one of the most well-written movies and screenplays you'll ever come across. It is fresh and unique and interesting. Um, the, the basics of this film, and I, try, <laughs> I tried really hard to come up with a one-sentence synopsis. This might be an episode where neither one of us have one for our film. Ooh, that's because it's so meaty. They're both so yeah. meaty that we can't is, condense it, right? This is a first. I mean, I think that because and also my movie, it, it transcends so many points of time. So I tried and I don't think I got there in the end. But the basic concept of this movie <laughs> is that Harry and Sally, Harry Burns and Sally Albright, played by Billy Crystal and Meg Ryan, meet in college as they are both moving to New York and they have signed up for this kind of rideshare thing that her her friend put them together. Her friend is dating Harry and is like, hey, my friend Sally's driving to New York to move there. You should go with her. So they take this 16-hour trip from Chicago to New York and the bare bones of this film are set up during this road trip. And it is a couple of things. One, they are both highly annoying people in very different ways. <laughs> Sally, these are absolutely insufferable fucking people. And that was in immediately evident to me when I first watched the film. It has only grown in intensity over time. These oh are insufferable God. fucking people. Oh, my God. You're absolutely right about that. Sally is insufferable because she is the pickiest person I've ever seen on screen. But again, it's done so well and written so well that it's so believable. And Harry is just, he's one of these dudes who has developed a definitive position about life by the time he was 20 years old. 
and mm-hmm. I cannot stand it. So the, this road trip is basically him saying to Sally, the crux of the, what becomes the crux of the film, which is that men and women cannot simply be friends. And when I tell you that an entire generation of fucking people base their romantic lives around that concept, I am not kidding. I think that is the reason that divorce rates skyrocketed during the 80s and 90s because people saw this and it had like never occurred to them that that could even be a theoretical concept that they could apply to their own lives. Yeah. But he has this, to me, what is a bullshit statement about men and women being unable to be friends that becomes the cornerstone of their relationship. And what I love about the movie is is you're following them as they kind of jump through time and they don't get along during this road trip. They get to New York, they shake hands, they kind of go their separate ways and don't see each other for another five years. And then when they do finally catch up, it's like, you know, Sally hated him and was like, thank God he didn't recognize me. Then they're on the same plane together and he does recognize her because of her picky ordering of a Bloody Mary. And so they have this kind of back and forth where they're, we're following them separately for the first part of the movie. And Harry is, he's going to get married to this woman named Helen, um, played by Harley Jane Kozak. And He's, he's, you know, kind of planning. That's his life. He's going to get married. He's a political strategist or something like that. And Sally is in this long-term relationship with this guy named Joe. So when we finally reconnect with them like five years later, Sally and Joe have broken up. She and her friends are sitting around a lunch table talking. It is one of the funniest scenes. Carrie Fisher plays Marie, one of her best friends, and she pops out a fucking Rolodex on the table and is like, here are some guys you could date. It is absolutely hilarious. <laughs> and she's in her own mess where she's like, I am dating a married man who's never going to leave his wife. I know that. And yet I'm still doing it. So it's kind of hilarious to watch these women kind of talking about how hard dating in New York is and blah, blah, blah. And then... Harry and Sally do become friends. Like they get, they meet at a party and they kind of, you know, they hang out and he kind of backs off on his statement a little bit because he's grown up a little bit, um, Mm. particularly now that he's divorced and has backed off a little bit on the men and women can't be friends idea. So they are friends. You see him kind of bopping around New York and doing insane things together, like buying real Christmas trees. I'm sorry, but if you buy a real Christmas tree and you live in New York City... That is like step one sociopathy to me. <laughs> like you got to give up that fucking Iowa dream and realize that you live in a rat infested shithole island that cannot sustain your holiday memories. <laughs> give it I up. Was, I was like, they got her out here carrying her own damn Christmas tree in that like velvet hat or whatever. <laughs> and I'm like, I can't even imagine this. I'm like, I'm like, I can't imagine dragging a live Christmas tree through the streets of New York up three or four flights of stairs to my walk up. I just was like, and then taking care of it. Let the dream die. (laughs) You got to water that shit every, and all you're doing is putting out a bowl of water for the rats that are going to crawl up through your fucking radiator. Give it the fuck up. You go home to Iowa or be in New York in a realistic way during the holidays. You cannot have both. In my eyes, the two should never meet. 
But she, they're out here doing just wild things. But they're hanging out together and they're talking. They talk so much. And it's like in that broadcast news way where they talk on the phone at night and yeah. they share a lot and they open up a lot. And then um, she has been really okay with this Joe breakup, which is astonishing to Harry because he's like ruined by his divorce. And then one night Joe calls and tells Sally that he's getting married. And she has a complete fucking breakdown, mm. which first and foremost, what kind of a psychopath calls your ex simply to tell them you're getting married? Yeah. Like, move it along. That was a weird move. Move that along. I mean, I guess you don't have Facebook to find out this shit back right. in those days. But I'm like, I also don't need a phone call. You can just yeah. continue to live your life separate from me. I might run into you in 10 years and have assumed that you've gotten married to someone. But I don't need the, the a constant and immediate update. We can just keep this going. <laughs> uh, so she calls Harry. He comes over to support her. And they end up sleeping together. And in that very 80s way, as soon as they have sex, Harry freaks the fuck out and mm. becomes very cold and closed off and goes back to his bullshit level of thinking about how men and women can't be friends and this is all done by the way to the soundtrack of harry connick jr who if this if this movie had people on a headlock harry connick jr had people on a goddamn chokehold listen gu guilty as charged <laughs> i was fucking my sister and i were obsessed with harry connick jr Be like I don't know what happened in like the early 90s, late 80s, early 90s, where Harry Connick Jr. was out here in a, in a major way. There was that album, We Are In Love. I think we listened to that tape like every fucking day. And I'm like, why are like two little kids bopping around their parents' Ford Aerostar, make, making their mom put in the fucking Harry Connick Jr. tape? listening to like the greatest American songbook bullshit. I'm like, what the fuck? Like, this is madness. This, this is what the world was like. And trust me, knowing you as I do, it is not at all surprising to me that you love some middle-aged music to go with the soundtrack, to, be, to create the soundtrack of you also wanting to be Melanie Griffith and Working Girl. <laughs> not at all surprising. You're like, let me put on some blue light, red light. <laughs> snorted again <laughs> let me chop this up <laughs> somebody did a chopped and screwed remix of harry connick jr you'd be all over it i on the other hand have complete ptsd when i hear his voice because it played in the restaurant that i worked in all throughout my teens uh -huh. i worked in this real like weird high-end sort of restaurant in town that like sold pine nuts by the pound like it's the first time i ever figured out what a fucking pignoli nut was and i had to cut gruyere cheese with one of those fucking knives where you had to seesaw on it and put your full weight on it and balance uh -huh. it and fucking people would get all pissed off about the chicken piccata because i didn't put enough sauce on it i have absolute ptsd because the soundtrack <laughs> to that point in my life was harry connick jr's album 20 yes and i think that's the one where he does like, he does a lot of fats wallers Waller covers like I think he did the only, not the only oyster in the stew on that one or something the fucking yeah. stars fell on Alabama like if fucking if I only had a brain absolute PTSD like I oh. shut down and I instantly start looking for like did I do all my closing up duties wait I'm in my own house and it's 20 years later yeah you th these folks don't know like y'all think that 
Michael Bublé was out here. Mm. Harry Connick Jr. was everywhere. Harry Connick Jr. walked so Michael Bublé could fucking fly. (laughs) Harry Connick Jr. was out here like, let me bring this old Hoagy Carmichael song back to life. Let me suck some George Gershwin, Ira Gershwin cock. (laughs) Not Hoagy Carmichael. You did not just invoke. Oh my God. That do, when I hear Do Nothing Till You Hear From Me, which is a great Duke Ellington song, when I hear it in his voice, I want to crawl under my bed. Like, I just, <laughs> it is a terror that I will never recover from. I heard that album nonstop for fucking years. Oh my God. And but he was a huge, and this, this soundtrack launched him into the public consciousness. Like, it, we, there would be no little man Tate. Without Harry, without when Harry met Sally, and it was a soundtrack to this level of bare minimum romance. That's what I think of when I think of this fucking movie. Yes, and it was like also this like soundtrack to this like for me as watching this as a young person at this time. It was like this New York intellectual set. You know yes. what I mean? Which is part of the appeal to me for the movie, even to this day, is like, oh, here are people who order salads at dinner and they write for New York Magazine. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they have glasses on a chain that they remove and put on. And, like, they listen to fucking, like, jazz standards or whatever. And I'm like... They, they hang out in the self-help selection of the fucking bookstore. <laughs> yep, 100%. <laughs> trauma trauma (laughs) so after harry and sally sleep together she's pissed because he's changed and he's you know not able to deal with it and she's like i'm i'm fine with it this makes sense to me that we're together and he's like it doesn't make sense to me so i'm gonna be a real dick and he's a dick for like a solid year like a solid year he's a complete asshole and then he tries to call and apologize and she won't have it the bare minimum romance comes in for me in two key ways. One, throughout the film, we're looking at these vignettes of couples and how they've gotten together. And some of them are goddamn hilarious. Yeah. My favorite one might be that couple who's like, we got married and then for 35 years, he went off. We got married, we got divorced, and then he went and married like five other women and then we got back together. Like, it is hilarious and heartfelt and wonderful to hear some of these stories And you realize, of course, that the reason they're doing that is because that is the premise of this movie, is that we're watching people who are developing the story of how they end up together. And the the way that they get together in the end, which, spoiler alert, they do, (laughs) is that (laughs) he basically pesters her for a year about how sorry he is. And then they're at a party and he's like, Um, well, I really love you and I feel like we should be together. And she's like, okay. Yep. And that's fucking it. And then they are sitting on the couch telling their own love story. And the love story is basically like, she's a true pain in the ass who orders food in the weirdest and most extravagant way you can possibly think of. She annoyed the fuck out of me for the first few years I even knew she existed then we had sex, and then we were just like, okay, dating in New York is hard. I guess you're fine. Yeah. It is bare minimum. Now, I know that some people might, might be out there thinking, it's not bare minimum romance, because he tried for a year to get back in her good graces. Not to date her. He wanted his friend back because he finally realized that men and women could be friends. Mm. 
And the way to get, this is, again, my own opinion, but I think the way he got her back into his life as a friend was to be like, oh, also, we can we can fuck sometimes. That's fine. Like, we can be, we can be together. <laughs> because I enjoy your friendship so much, and I don't know how to be friends with a woman that I'm not fucking. Yeah. Uh-huh. And we don't even have time to discuss the fact that Billy Crystal was a sex symbol. That oh. is something that has to be discussed in, ther- in therapy. I thought about this several times over the years because I'm not going to lie. Billy Crystal was like, you know, he was part of our generation. I mean, it's like fucking running scared. I like that movie. Like was, I watched that movie probably like 30,000 times as a child. I mean, he was this bride, like completely city slickers. I mean, he was like the comedy ideal in our childhood. Right. They would never let that happen today. Today. That would not happen. Let's get serious. Never today. It's Channing Tatum and whatever 19 year old is hot right now. Like, well, they would never. Well, and that's because now hot people are trying to be funny. Do you know yes. what I'm saying? Yes. This is where we get fucked up again and again. Hot people are trying to be funny. Musicians are trying to be comedians. Like, stay in your goddamn lane. Look, this is very high fidelity opinions we're having right now, but I got to tell you, like... In those days, in the Harry Met Sally days, like it, you were a comedian, and if you were ugly, you just you were shoehorned into the rom com. That's how it worked. Whereas Absolutely. now, if you're a Hemsworth, you're also a romantic. You're a romantic lead for being hot, but also because you're you're funny too, or try to be funny. And exactly. I'm just like, this is weird. This is weird. Exactly. And I, yeah, I definitely, as time goes on, the more I watch this movie, the more irritated it makes me. And I'm very curious if you agree that this is a bare minimum romance movie. Yeah, I mean, here here's what I do. I think it just goes back to what the expectations for romances on screen were at this point in time, right? Yes. Like, I think we're still within the window. I mean, I don't know, like Gen X kids were probably watching this film or they knew about this film late 80s mm-hmm. right um but it's this moment where i'm like i think it was supposed to have been like i just feel like it's we're fast forwarded so far ahead where having this like kind of concept of like a bare minimum eh like mm-hmm. moment between two people i think in these both these films and these eras it was seen as romantic to be like two negative people getting together in this very unceremonious way and they don't talk about it beyond just like well i guess we're just together because we're both impossible and there's nobody else that will like us and so we'll just settle for each other That is what I'm that is what hits the hardest for me with this film in particular is that it's like we're both so insufferable that we might as well be together. Right. And I don't see the the development of like, I love how she does this or I love how she does that or she's so cute or whatever. It's like none of that is there. She doesn't say any of that, like in terms of like, I really love how we our conversations or I really miss like, you know, I really like the way that you make me feel. Or it's it's just two angry, weird people who are like, we might as well. Yes. Cause cheerful, earnest people were boring to watch in 
comedies. Like it's like, oh, we need to find who are the underdogs here? Who are the grumpy underdogs with the weird quirks? And I want to see them get together and they barely like each other, but for some reason that makes me happy because it feels more realistic. And there's a moment where, yes, I think I was drawn towards that, certainly as a young person. Mm -hmm. I was very much like, I want to see two fucked up grumps sort of like smash themselves together in a relationship and then that's it. But now I feel like we're just in such a different mode and I don't know if it's because the world's changed or like I've changed. I mean, obviously we've changed. But it's that thing of like, I don't know now. I feel like like in romances, I, I feel like there's now more, people make more of an effort to work on themselves maybe. Right. Theoretically. There's more discussion. Yeah. Fingers crossed. There's less of the fucking like traditional gender bullshit happening. You know, I think that like people are more invested in their own goals and in their own selves that they're like, well, I'm not going to fucking just settle for somebody. I might just fucking wait it out or be alone. I just feel like there's more of that conversation happening than like, so it makes you look back at movies like this where they're like, oh, they're just like getting together because they have nobody else that to fucking hang out with or whatever. And you're just like, wow, that's a bummer. It's a fucking bummer. And that's the thing. Like, it's never a concept. And maybe because it's the very trope of this is a romantic comedy. But it's never even crosses anyone's mind to just be alone and, you know, wait it out or <laughs> be alone possibly forever and still have a good life. Like, it's always centered around you have to pick someone. It might as well be this one. Yes. And I don't, I don't think either of us, too, are saying that it isn't charming that somebody likes us in spite of these faults or something like it would be charming if the next person you date said well the reason why i found danielle attractive and it made me fall in love with her is because i saw her fling a diva cup across the room into a pile of dirt Ah! (laughs) like i would i would be like god that's like the sweetest thing i'd ever heard i don't know i just have a real problem with in in these films that we've picked and in this theme and category we've created in general that like that romance does not signify passion and that it's almost like being passionate was uncool i will agree with that a hundred percent like unnecessary and uncool for a relationship and i i feel that more from sally than i do harry like harry at least made the effort to be like hey i actually love you and she was just like oh fine like it's just but there's from both of them, no passion. And same thing in High Fidelity and same thing in a lot of films where you're like, there's a resignation that makes, that bums me the fuck out. <laughs> yes. That's, I think, what the theme is about, is a resignation of both parties in both these films that seems on the outside very romantic, but when mm-hmm. you when you get down to it is maybe a little depressing Absolutely. And a lot of people, my movie fucked people up, especially because a lot of people think this is the great, the greatest thing in the world could be to fall in love with someone who's your friend, who's already your friend and already in your life. And I don't know if you've ever fucked any of your friends. No comment. But I have (laughs) once. Thankfully, we are still friends. (laughs) And this was 
many, many years ago. Yeah. But I don't know that I believe that that's necessary to have actual romance, that you have to, like, know someone deeply and intensely and kind of resign yourself to dealing with them in order to have a relationship. Like, I just, I don't think the two always have to mix. I think there's something really... Like, not like you should just go to a total stranger and be like, hey, let's get together. But I think that there is something fun and cool about, like, discovering things about each other and then dealing with them. That feels like a more adult approach to a relationship. Yeah. Um, but now we're in this space because of movies like this, where it's like you have to be friends with and know someone intensely and then it'll just work out because you have a foundation. And I'm like, well, that foundation is rocky as shit. And it's not enough to build a relationship on. I don't know. I'm just, I'm bothered. I'm so bothered by this fucking movie. Well, you know, and here's the thing. There is an actual non-bare minimum romance in the film, which is the Bruno Kirby and Carrie Fisher relationship. To be honest with you, that is the relationship that I love the most. I love them more than I love Harry and Sally. Exactly. They're more interesting. They're funnier. They have a more realistic approach to like, hey, we actually like things about each other. Let's date and and check this out. And like, they actually make adult decisions about being together that make sense. Even that well, wagon wheel table where like, oh you're God. watching them compromise. You're watching them like, like it just felt better to watch them <laughs> on screen. There was some passion there. Every time I see this movie now, I get, I feel emotional knowing that Bruno Kirby and Carrie Fisher are both dead. I know. I mean, it makes me so sad to think about that. And because their relationship in this movie, I think, is is what I would maybe think is the ideal, you know, is that they're both like, I love this, the, that wagon wheel coffee table um, part of the movie. I think a lot of people do when she's just like, I'm never going to want that wagon wheel coffee table. <laughs> like that to me is like so fucking funny. And I love that they both have phones like next to their beds, their own phone lines with that giant fucking headboard. And I just am like, to me, they're so, they're, I think, the anti-Harry and Sally because they met, you know, kind of, and they just like jumped into a cab together and it was like instant romance, right? Exactly. I don't know. So to me, I'm kind of like, well, you know, I don't know, like... Yeah, maybe it is fun to watch these two grumps just, like, melt into each other after, like, a decade. But they never become less annoying. They become more annoying together than they do apart, which is also bare minimum romance for me, where I'm like, you're not changing. Like, you're not having a positive effect on each other. (laughs) I know. I think it's just more like, like, who do you want? What is on your vision board? Is it this? Is it Harry and Sally's depressing shit, or is it... Bruno Kirby and Carrie Fisher's joyful marriage. Like, I don't know. Maybe back then, maybe as a young person, I liked the grumpy people, but now I kind of want a little hope. Yeah. Little hope, little passion. It's all we ask for people. Oh my goodness. Could truly talk about this all day. All day. But let's just give them the movies for next week. We will deal with our emotions in therapy. I am going to completely ignore the mail for the next like couple weeks because I can't even imagine what kind of emails we're going to get about this searing takedown of when Harry met Sally. Oh my God. <laughs> Look, you can send me your thoughts. I don't have to read them. Get yes. it out. Get it out of your system. I do not have to read it. <laughs> well, listen. So for next week's episode, 
I'm speechless. Tell him. I'm, Tell I'm, him the spe- movies. I'm speechless, but I, I will say it anyway. The movies for next week are January Man from 1989 and The Big Chill from 1983. If you don't guess this theme, you have truly never paid attention to a single thing I've said on this podcast. Yeah, we would be very disappointed in you if you didn't get this theme. So, oh my God, listen. I know we just said we're not reading the mail for the next couple weeks because of this episode, <laughs> but if you want to email us, we're at I saw what you did pot at gmail.com. And you can also follow us on our socials. We are at I saw pod on Instagram and Twitter. And I know we've been trying to help some people want to leave us reviews and they don't know how to do it. If you want to leave us a five star review, we've, we've given you a couple of directives so far. One was uh, just comment with St. Emil's fire. <laughs> instead of sending us an email about how you feel about when harry met sally leave us a five-star review and just let us and just comment bare minimum romance just leave us a five star and say bare minimum romance and or i us, want to play with you i want to play with you <laughs> that's what casey just put in the chat <laughs> That's what you fucking told people to write as a review. (laughs) I only say this because I want to look at that page and laugh. I want to look at our reviews and laugh. So just by God, by all means, just please make us laugh if you can't think of anything to say. But if you can, you can also leave that. An earnest review is always appreciated. But I want to play with you. And Bare Minimum Romance will also have me rolling. Oh, my God. Listen, Danielle, as always, it is not a bare minimum pleasure doing this podcast with you. It could not be more the op. It's the antithesis of bare minimum (laughs) (laughs) pleasure. It's a highlight of my week and possibly my life. And I love this episode. I love chatting with you. See you all next time. Bye-bye. This has been an Exactly Right production. Produced and mixed by Casey O'Brien. Our theme song is by Tom Bryfogle. Artwork by Garrett Ross. Our executive producers are Georgia Hardstart, Karen Kilgariff, and Daniel Kramer. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at IsawPod. And you can email us at IsawWhatYouDidPod at Gmail. Follow I Saw What You Did on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen so you don't miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate and review the show. And visit exactlyrightstore.com to purchase I Saw What You Did merch.